All too often, we talk a good game about our beliefs, but then fail to live them out. And in doing so, we often miss opportunities to make a difference in the lives of others. Well, hello and welcome to Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. As Pastor Keith continues with his teaching series entitled, The Blueprint. On today's broadcast, we'll be hearing part six of our Blueprint series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of James, chapter two. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. We are in the middle of a series, and uh, obviously you can see the blueprint up there. It's a series called Blueprint. As a church family, we're, we're charting a course together into the, into the future to try to reach the community, the Riverside, the Riverside, slap me, the uh, San Jose, <laughs> the San Jose, Santa Clara community. I've moved from Riverside, right? So, for Christ. And so we've been preparing ourselves through a series of sermons. We preached through First Peter about understanding how to live out a relevant faith before a, a culture or a community that considers your faith irrelevant. And now we're looking at our blueprint for ministry, which is our statement of faith. Ultimately, our blueprint for everything we think, say, and do as Christians and as a church and as a denomination is the Bible. But if you're building a building or structuring an organization or even an organism, uh, you do have an outline form of what the shape it's supposed to take, what it's supposed to look like, and that's a blueprint. And our blueprint is the statement of faith. And so we talked about the Bible, how we view, how this congregation, how this church family, how our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church in America, views the Bible. God, uh, we've talked about the human condition, and that's kind of the bad news, the good news. We talked about Jesus Christ and the work of Christ. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, and we're doing this to make sure that as we go into this season of ministry together, that we are metaphorically and in some cases literally singing from the same sheet of music. And today's discussion is about Christian living. Christian living. You know, we, we just talked about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit in us is manifested also in the way that we live. Evidence of our salvation is demonstrated by the way that we live. Our love for God and others is demonstrated and manifested and illustrated by the way we live. And so today we're going to talk about Christian living, uh, enjoying a tangible faith. Uh, I want you to enjoy your faith. God wants you to enjoy your faith. Our faith, our Christian life is something to be enjoyed, to be savored. Serving God isn't a drudgery. It's, a, it's an act of worship, certainly, but it's an act of love given all that he's done for us and all that we have in Christ. And living out your faith should be enjoyable and it's also necessary because it brings to us satisfaction. When we serve God, when we honor God, when we love God, we feel his pleasure. When we disobey God, sometimes we feel his discipline. But as we serve God and as we commit ourselves to growing in Christ day by day, inch by inch, There is sort of this runner's high, and we're going to talk about a runner's high. I'm going to show a video in just a moment, not quite yet, but 
Essentially, the more we serve God, the more, we, the more in harmony we feel and the more our life seems to make sense because, you know, birds were made to fly, fish were made to swim, horses were made to gallop, and Christians were made to live out their faith. And so when a bird flies, it does what comes naturally to it. And when a fish swims, it does what comes naturally to it and the oxygen comes over its gills and it thrives. And when horses gallop, They feel great. They love it. And when Christians live out their faith, they find fulfillment, peace of mind, and joy. Not every time that you live for Christ is it going to be all, you know, rose-colored, you know, perfect day. But as we hit our stride, as we live for him, we, we, we can sense that this is how we need to be and where we need to be. And we The more we serve him and love him and live out our faith, the more we sense our connection to God. And so what I'd like to do today is to give you three essential requirements for Christian living so that you can enjoy a satisfying relationship, a satisfying connection with God and point others to Christ as well through your Christian living. I want you to to know, I want you to feel God's pleasure Here's what we believe about Christian living. We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the spirit's power and the fervent prayer in Christ's name, We are to combat spiritual forces of evil in obedience to Christ's commission. We are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. In short, we are to live our purpose. There is an old, old document called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a great document. It's really worth the read. It has a shorter catechism that summarizes all of that in a sentence. And that sentence says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that question is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The Christian life, connection with God, harmony with God's will is enjoyable. It will bring you peace. It's not a drug. When you talk about a runner's high, you're not going to secrete hormones and endorphins and things like that. But what you're going to do is sense the master's pleasure. I want you to know the full satisfaction of your salvation. I want you to experience God's pleasure. And I believe there are three essential requirements to doing that, to living out your Christian faith, to Christian living. And what are they? Let's take up the first one. Requirement number one is this. Christian living requires and displays a visible faith. Christian living requires a visible faith. You've heard me say before, right thinking leads to right attitudes, action, words, and deeds. In our blueprint, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. If you're a Christian, you're going to live like one, and people are going to see it. You know the old saying, if it quacks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, and it swims like a duck, it's probably a duck. And if we live like a Christian and act like a Christian and talk like a Christian, people are going to think they might be Christian. I wonder how it is they do what they do. And where do we see this in the Word of God? 
Where do we see this? Because in the era in which we live right now, a lot of people say, well, I have my, my faith in Christ, but it's a private thing and I keep it to myself. And, and just, I believe, it may not show, but I believe. But the Bible tells us that Christian living is so much more than that. And where do we see that? We see that in James chapter 2, verses 14, 17 through 20. And the apostle James writes this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now let me tell you what's not going on there. It's not saying that works save. It's not saying if you have to do this and do this and do this to be saved. But what it is saying is if you are saved, you're going to do this and this and that. Your, your, your life will show it. You will live out your faith. That's Christian living, living for Christ, living in a Christ-like way. And it's visible, it's tangible. People can see it, they can sense it, they can hear it in the things you say. That's Christian living. What we have here is a, is a real challenge. He's saying, look, don't tell me. Don't tell me that you believe, but it doesn't show. Even the demons believe and shudder. The kind of belief that doesn't produce anything in your life is dead. There's an old saying that people hold beliefs, but convictions hold the people. Convictions govern our conduct. Inward faith will produce outward visible effects. You see that too in James 3, 7. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you're saved, it's going to show. And the things, not that just you say, but the things that you don't show, don't say. Meekness talks about power under control. It talks about restraint. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 5.22 about the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, verse uh, 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, that's meekness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Christian living. Jesus said it. You know a tree by the fruit it bears. Said it in the Sermon on the Mount. First Peter, we talked all about that during First Peter, our series on Peter's first epistle, that how we live out our faith. We respect every human institution. We love the brother. We, love the, we honor the king. We respect every human institution. Who we are determines how we live. And as Christians, we live out our faith. This is essential to who we are. Christian living requires and displays a visible faith. Your belief, your theology, your convictions will be to, to put on display each and every day as you live out your purpose, as you run the race, 
as you keep the faith, as you fight the good fight. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially, to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the impressed. How we live matters. How you live preaches each and every day. And you may be the only Jesus somebody sees in the classroom or the workplace. And it's easy to talk a good game, but God calls you and I, us, together as his people, as his church, to live a good game, to live well, to love well, to bring glory to God so that we can enjoy him forever. Which brings us to the second requirement for Christian living. If you want to live your purpose, if you want to enjoy the full satisfaction of your salvation, if you want to live a life at peace with God, in harmony with God, in step with God, sensing his approval, looking forward to the day where you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't say good and perfect servant. It says good and faithful servant. Here's our second requirement. Christian living requires spiritual warfare. That doesn't sound fun. Warfare. Christian living requires spiritual warfare. You see, there are two oppo- we are stuck. We are on the ground in the battlefield and there are two opposing armies. Satan and God. There is no neutrality. You can't make a peace treaty with Satan. You can't say, "Look, I'm I'm, you know, I'm I'm just going to step back here and let you two sort this thing out." No. You can't do that. That's why it says in our blueprint, in our statement of faith, with God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat spiritual forces of evil because we are required to engage in spiritual warfare. We don't have a choice. You don't have to go looking for trouble as a believer. As a follower of Jesus Christ who loves God and his neighbor, you don't have to look for trouble. Trouble will find you because we are out of step with the culture. In every major so-called moral issue, or it really is culture out of step with God, I think that's probably the problem. But the bottom line is you're a reminder of it. And in the, in the great spiritual warfare passage in Ephesians 6, we read this in Ephesians 6, 10 through uh, 13. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm just going to touch on some key ideas here. Finally, be strong in the Lord And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. What you have here are a series of commands. Be strong, put on, take up, stand firm, so that you may be able to stand That's obedience. That's a commitment to spiritual warfare because the warfare is inevitable. It's coming to a theater of operations near you. You have no choice. Satan takes no prisoners. There is no neutrality, and we can't help but fight if we follow Christ. And in the words of Yoda, fight you must, okay? We are compelled to do so by circumstance and because the enemy will not let us not join him. We either stand with God or we stand against God. So you have to be prepared to live out and act upon your beliefs. That's waging war. You see it in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
See, here's the problem. We tend to think of spiritual warfare always in the most extreme supernatural sense. We talked about this last week with our discussion of the Holy Spirit. Human beings are people of extremes, and you have one extreme over here and one extreme over there, but where we want to be is in the biblical center. We want to be centered and balanced on the Word of God. And as you look at this put on the whole armor of God, and it talks about the, belt, you know, the, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith, and it talks about taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying at all times in the Spirit. What we see here is something a little more subtle sometimes than we might normally notice. Because it's not just people levitating and their heads spinning and their eyes rolling back in their head. And it's not just, you know, lev- all these hyper, hyper supernatural things. It's far more subtle than that. It might be that in, in certain contexts and remote places in the world. But mostly, it's the battlefield of the mind. Your mind is the battlefield. And way too often, we, and particularly our younger uh, family members, our younger people, find themselves evangelized and proselytized by the culture. And you look at that word, the schemes of the devil, it speaks to methods. And, And when you look at the semantic range of that word, it speaks to almost philosophies and ideas. You see... Most of the culture war, most of spiritual warfare, probably 98% is all about ideas. If somebody walked in the room and started tossing people around and their eyes rolled back in their head and they started talking in a funny voice, you'd probably figure this wasn't a normal manifestation of a Christian living out his life, right? The fact of the matter is demonic possession in the supernatural realm is probably a one in a million occurrence. Now, it certainly gets the forefront, but the most effective means of spiritual warfare is subtle. Satan has convinced our society that he doesn't exist. He has seized the institutions at some level of government, education, media, and our people, our children, our young people, us, are being inundated with ideas about sexuality, about marriage, about abortion, about pluralism, that, you know, it's not, really, it's not really nice to say that there's only one way, one truth, and one way to heaven. That's really not, it's really not nice. It's not, it's not tolerant. And we're taught to be tolerant of everything, and society is tolerant of everything and everyone, often, except the Christian faith. And we're made to feel uncomfortable. We're made to almost be embarrassed That's spiritual warfare. Look at those instruments. Look at the armor of God. The helmet of salvation, what does it protect? Your head. The breastplate of righteousness, what does it protect? Your heart. The gospel of preparation, that grounds you in your faith. The belt of truth, which girds you up, supports you. You're supported by what? Truth. And the sword of the spirit, the only offensive weapon is the word of God. It's not protests necessarily. It's not boycotts necessarily. It's, it is written. It is written. It is written. And when you say it is written, what are you doing? You're weighing the truth, the truth claims and the philosophies and the traditions of this world in the scales 
of the scriptures. You're evaluating ethics through the lens of the word of God. You're passing all these customs and all these things that are being imposed on us through a sieve that is the sword of the Holy Spirit. Every time the culture floats a trial balloon, we stick that balloon with the sword of the Spirit and it bursts most of the time. This is spiritual warfare. That's why Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. So when we're told, you know, who who are we to judge? Well, we don't judge. Scripture does. And the Scriptures say, you shall not steal means you shall not steal even if you're poor. Or you shall not call in sick because it's your son or daughter's graduation. I mean, you know, we're not to bear false witness. We're not to steal. We're not to take what belongs to us. And there is no such thing as a situational ethic. It's okay to do this because it works. Do you know what? God gave us good government. He gave us good laws. And he's given us the ability to change those laws. And that's why in Romans 13 and 1 Peter it says to respect the laws. 